question, okay? And that today we're looking at the things uh, that we can be sure of, remember? And uh, we've already looked at the subject matter of sure of forgiveness in 1 John. We looked last week at sure of relationship in 1 John chapter 2. And today we're going to look at sure of truth, 1 John 2 and 18. Sure of truth, okay? What is truth, some would say? Well, uh, Jesus said that uh, I am truth. Uh, also, we know truth more from the perspective maybe of, of something someone tells us or something we hear. And somebody says, well, I'm fixing to tell you the truth. Now that could cause us to think that there's sometimes they don't always tell us the truth, right? But uh, yes, sure of truth. Uh, on page 30, yes. Some will say that I'm going to tell you the gospel truth, right? Now uh, that gets me uh, that gets me a little concerned there uh, as to why they wasn't telling me the truth all the time, possibly, or if they were. Hey, absolutely. Uh, on page thirty, though, the writer in his introduction gives us a few numbers there, some uh, things that people might believe. He said we're in a culture of 24-7 news feeds. How many of you, now, when you were growing up, that there was a, maybe one news source, and you might would get that on, on a weekly after, or evening about 6 o'clock, and it was usually Walter Cronkite or someone, but you had about a 30-minute or a one-hour uh, session of truth, I call it, news. And they were not there to tell us what was their opinion about that. They were there largely reading uh, those things. But anyway, in a culture now of 24-7, when it comes to news feeds and online opinions, uh, said it should be no surprise that many Americans believe ideas that are just conspiracy theories. And boy, have we not heard the word conspiracy over the last 12 or 15 years as to not believing uh, all that is being stated. He said an example, he gives us two or three there, 40% believe the FDA is withholding natural cures for cancer. 27% believe America is hiding aliens in Area 51. 23% believe 9-11 was an inside job. And he also said 19% believe the government is using chemicals to control the population. And as if not more conspiracy theories when it comes to COVID and concerning uh, uh, shots and uh, immunizations and all of these things. I tell people if I watch news feeds uh, all day like a lot of people do, I'd be on nerve pills. Because I'm serious. If I just believed a tenth of what is out there, I, there's no way I could sleep at night well without some kind of AIDS as well. He said, typically, conspiracy theories start with a fringe group and then are picked up by a credible source. And y'all could probably tell me the networks that y'all like to watch. You get the best news or you get truths or realities. 
He just simply said it goes without saying that the struggle for truth is real. And we come to the Bible, and even the Bible tells us concerning various other groups that did not even believe truth when our Lord had given it to us. So as we look today, those of you who are joining us on YouTube this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, and we begin at verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and we will be looking uh, through verse number 29. Now the first section that we're going to look at this morning is uh, chapter 2, verse 18 through 21. And John is writing now, we know the Holy Spirit is absolutely the author of all the Scripture. Now he used different hands to pencil it, he used different hearts maybe to put the emotion in it, but still the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you, know, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come. By this we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Now, remember last week, was it not? We saw uh, a, a couple of comparisons. We saw the comparison of light and darkness, did we not? Now, today we're looking at the comparison of truth and lie. And uh, John now begins by addressing the children. Now, let me, let me just uh, remind you that if you read the uh, epistle here of 1 John, there's a time that John will talk to the spiritual fathers. He'll call out and speak to the young men. If you remember, he'll address us that way. And then also he'll speak to the children. And uh, as you read through the uh, epistle... Uh, know that He is not addressing us as far as our earthly age is going. He's addressing us as far as our spiritual age is, okay? He's looking at the maturity of the spiritual father. Sometimes He's looking at the strength of the young men. And uh, So with all of that in mind, He begins today by saying, Children, it is the last hour. Now, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know, is this. It is nearer than it's ever been before. I would be ignorant to try to give you a date or a time. I know the Scripture tells us that no man knows the hour. And therefore, we conclude because of history itself that when John was writing... He called it the last hour, and we're now somewhat 2,000 years or more longer, so therefore I can conclude it's nearer than it's ever been before. Paul believed that Jesus would come in his day. I do believe that. 
We believe Peter would write accordingly. John now will write accordingly. But he talks about the last days. In this verse, with a Hallman Christian Standard Bible, he is calling it the last hour. I was talking with a gentleman this week, and we were talking about uh, life. And I said, sir, you just got to take it one day at a time. He said, can I get smaller increments than that? I said, sure. Live it by the hour. And, and when I'm saying that, I'm just reminding myself that, hey, increments of time mean something to all of us. John now saying the last hour means that again, uh, the nearing of our Lord's coming is uh, closer than it was yesterday. Well, the second coming, we would call it, or the return of our Lord uh, is very synonymous, the writer writes, in the, with the last days. A day of joyful expectation should be for believers, right? But we should be excited about that happening. However, you know, this uh, study today is going to also tell us that we ought not be ashamed before He met His coming. So therefore, not everybody's eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus. Well... Uh, what does the Bible say? He says, uh, you have heard that the Antichrist singular is coming. Probably since uh, uh, your early teenage years, uh, you have heard, that's when we begin to retain what we heard, you have heard of the Lord's coming and you've heard of a fellow called the Antichrist, have you not? that He's going to come, and in the last days, uh, there during the tribulation, He will be the central figure, or let me say a central figure. Uh, so, He says, uh, you've heard that the Antichrist uh, shall come, or is uh, coming. Now, on the bottom of your page in the left-hand column, John is highlighting the reality of the last hour by talking about the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he is recognized as the man of lawlessness. He is also recognized as the man doomed to destruction. The Antichrist will set himself up to oppose God, and in the meantime, he tells us that many of these guys have already come. They're already present. Now, what does anti mean? Against, not for. So, uh, when you think of anti-Christ, what does it mean? He is opposed to everything Christ stands for. Now, if you begin, or if you remember back in the book of beginnings in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, the adversary, began even there to show himself as the opposer, did he not? And in the second chapter or third chapter there, you remember it talked about uh, that he would bruise the heel of the Redeemer, but the Redeemer would bruise his head. Talking about that ongoing struggle between Christ and the Antichrist, the devil. Well, yes. Against Christ, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Everything Jesus stands for, you, you can remember. He's against it, and as best he can, he'll try to duplicate it almost to its perfection, but he can't do that. Uh, 
And some have even went far enough to say, hey, the number of completion is 777, so the number that is assigned to the enemy is 666. Close, as close as one could be to the Christ. But he's anti, he's against, opposed, yes. Thank you for that. Anybody else have a word there, a thought? Well, when you start talking about the last days, you really start talking about uh, things that makes our ears pop up a little bit, doesn't it? Why? Because that knowledge that we have been retaining concerning the subject matter uh, even becomes more clear as we mature and grow older. Why would he talk about Antichrist plural, many Antichrists? Why would he say that? Okay. That's right. Okay. Miss Jean is reminding us there that there have been many before who resembled the Antichrist. And she mentioned Hitler and many of the other figures. And what were they? They were against the Bible. They were against God. They were against Christ. So anti means that you just totally oppose. Well, I'm glad to see today uh, that we, the believers are not anti, we're pro-Christ, we're pro-church, we're pro-Bible, etc. He said, a central figure who will oppose Christ, multiple antichrists also exist, who even now are working in opposition to the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, you don't have to look very far, do you, to find a lot of people who could be qualified as the antichrist, plural, I remember back in the 70s and even earlier, people were trying to uh, think about who the Antichrist was going to be. Well, some believed it'd be Henry Kissinger. Some believed it would be Hitler. Some believed he would be, well, I don't know what the latest is on that. Who, who's the latest that you've heard might be the Antichrist? Surely the news feeds are feeding that. Obama, okay. Now, that's not the pastor's opinion or the class's opinion. Uh, hey, I do believe, honestly, that we could be living in the day that the Antichrist could be alive. He could be. Notice I didn't say he is. I said he could be. Why? Because I believe that's how close we are to the coming of our Lord. Absolutely. It's being manifest. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and she said back then she was believing God, the Father, God the Son, but she just didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. She said she said, I don't believe in ghosts. Yeah. And she said, I come to find out later that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is is life, is Jesus. Yes, the the, the Godhead. The three persons of the Godhead, we call him. Yes. I said, you know what? I don't, I don't think that about her. But anyway, she comes to that realization. Yeah. Uh, finishing up page 31 there just a moment, he said, These are individuals who are opposed to the clear teaching of Scripture, primarily the doctrine of Christ. Now, you know that they're groups of people who consider themselves believers. 
who, like, who, who likewise are, appro- are opposed to the teachings of Christ. And because of that, uh, when we label groups like that cultic, the world gets angry with us. But you know, if, if, if you want to spread seeds of, uh, of controversy, if someone wants to establish a new religion, what they're going to do is just gather a little bit from all of these other places and bring it together. So therefore, when you ask somebody, do you believe in Jesus? If they say, yeah, don't get too excited. You better ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? Because many believe in Him. Matter of fact, the Muslims quote Him. But now that doesn't make them believers in the sense of what the Bible says we are. There's a key verse in this, and I don't want to slip on without reminding ourselves. Uh, It's verse 19. Or, yes, verse 19. Uh, In the King James, I think I'm going to try to quote it, it said, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had belonged, or if they had been part of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. However, they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. Now, if you get all of those of us uh, in, in, tangled up and stuff, it, men, it literally is telling us that there were a group of people who identified with them. But they left. And the reason they left is because they never were a part of them to start with. Now, a couple of things we shouldn't assume there, okay? That means if somebody moves their membership from our church to another, don't put them in chapter, don't put them in that line, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there are people who at one time who believed or said they believed in the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of the church, etc. He said, but they left. And they left because it became proof that they were never really a part of the family of God. Right. 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 Absolutely. And, and I think the writer alluded to that somewhat here in the lesson. Well, agnostic, now that word's going to come up too. Uh, I think I'm right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to differentiate another study I'm doing during the week versus this. I don't want to get them... Com- Agnostics largely believe that there's a God, but you can't get to know Him. So agnostic versus... It's all right. Agnostic versus unbeliever, you know... I. That's a, that's a hard hair to split there, okay? Let me, let me come back and deal with that a little bit more. Uh, we see some of that in the next little section of Scripture we're going to look at, okay? So, uh, but we were talking about leaving. Uh, the writer talked about virtually every false teacher leaves the true church in order to start his own. Why? Because doctrinally, they don't fit among... Christendom. They don't fit among Christians because their doctrinal truths don't line up, okay? 
1 John 2 and 22 now, if you're following us uh, on YouTube, 1 John 2 and 22 says, Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. One of Satan's great uh, tools in his tool chest is deception, is it not? And you can go back to uh, Adam and Eve. You can see how that uh, Eve knew truth because I think Adam had conveyed that to her. And then when the enemy, Satan the adversary, came, he told partial truth, did he not? Uh, so with that in mind, uh, the Scripture said, Who's the liar? Excepting he that calls Jesus, or who says that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, naturally, we can know who's lying if they tell us they don't believe in Jesus, can't we? And we already can classify that. But when it gets harder is, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, you know there's a group who has their Bible, and in First John one and I mean in John one and one, it says that Jesus was a God. Now, is that true or false? It's absolutely false, isn't it? Why? Because Jesus is God. Now, John one and one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. He wasn't a God. He is God. Well, I don't want to get off trying to label everybody, you know, uh, false or everybody uh, cultic, but we're just trying to differentiate how we know the Antichrist spirit uh, that is in the world. And then verse 23 said, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Isn't it amazing how John is, uh, is, is being so deliberate as to give a good understanding of Jesus? Remember, this is the same John that was writing the epistle, I mean the gospel. And when he gave it uh, to us so clearly, beginning the gospel in John 1 and 1, and now he's devoting five more divisions or paragraphs or chapters as we know them, he is largely giving a defense there of the gospel. That's right. He was with him. Absolutely. And that, that is, is largely what qualified his writings to become canonized. It's because he didn't just have hearsay. He was one who was there uh, those three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
thank you. You're reminding us that, hey, uh, it wasn't somebody's word that we're dealing with here. It was largely Jesus' words uh, that John was giving us as if it were straight from his mouth. But then again, he said, no one who denies the Son has relationship with God. That's my paraphrase. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And now, let, let's, there's something we really don't want to do out of the study today, and that is we don't want to get too overly occupied with trying to figure out who is saved and who isn't saved. That can mess us up. But we just need to be assimilating in our minds what the truth is telling us, okay? So, uh, as we move on down, uh, he, he says there in verse 24, What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you'll remain in the Son and the Father. So, uh, dealing with doctrinal truth, uh, he says on the bottom of page 31, Whoever denies the divinity of Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Anointed One from God, ultimately denies the Father as well. To believe wrongly concerning Jesus is to believe wrongly about God. So, I don't know how it could be summed up better than that. You can't separate these two, can we? And then when we add the third person to the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, we can't separate the three. Why? Because they are one. Now, I know people have always wanted us to explain that. It's almost unexplainable. But we understand the realities of that as well. Now, he gives on page 33, the false teachers of John's day blatantly denied the truth of who Christ is. And there's the word Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism had two primary eras. Number one, the Gnostics believe the body is evil. Therefore, God, who is spirit, could not take on flesh because flesh is evil. Now, you've got to totally ignore the rest of the Scripture to believe something like that. Hebrews, uh, the writer of the Hebrew letter, tells us that Jesus took on flesh that He might become a compassionate high priest. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because He was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. So that totally frustrates Gnosticism there in that point. They're, they're just saying that he, he could not have taken on flesh because flesh is sinful. Well, we, we know what the Scripture said. Uh, Serenthus taught that Jesus had a real human body but that He was not the Christ until the Spirit came upon Him at His baptism. Serenthus taught that the Spirit remained upon Jesus throughout His public ministry, but the Spirit left Him before the crucifixion, since the Spirit could not be associated with suffering. Now, there are many people who believe that Jesus became God. In other words, he had to live a sinless life before he could qualify to be Saul in that fashion. Folks, that, that, is, that is a big error. Uh, if, if you go back, and there's been many writings on this, and I could not even recommend a, a good one. I forget the titles of some of the books. 
But if you go back, uh, oh, what's the fellow's name? But uh, it's the blood that made Jesus who he was or who he is. It's the blood that made him qualified to be the Savior because he wasn't from man. He did not have an earthly father. And because of that, his blood was sinless, which then brings us into some of those other things that uh, guys in seminary class, they get hung up on sometime. And, uh, you know, they, they get hung up on the fact, could Jesus have sinned? Or was it that he just did not sin? So, you know, people, people always trying to stretch truth further than the Lord desires us to stretch it, right? I personally don't believe he could have sinned because of his bloodline. But now don't get too hung up on that. He didn't want to anyway. You know, so he, I don't know. We, we get too hung up on those things sometimes. I just rest with what the writer of Hebrews said. He was tempted, and I know he was. I remember, you remember last week I told you to go back and read Matthew 4 in relation to uh, 1 John 2 when it talks about uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Yes, I believe Satan tempted him in those areas. What did Jesus always have in his, uh, always have as his artillery? The Scripture. Absolutely, the Scripture. And he put him down every time, did he not? Now, what if we go back to Calvary, what came out at Calvary? His humanity did come out, didn't it? Because he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, I thirst. Man, he could have called for a shower of rain, got all the water he wanted. What we see in Gethsemane, though, and Calvary, we do see... Uh, his humanity, but more so his deity. He is God. The heart of the gospel message is that all who know the Father through the saving work of his Son have the promise of eternal life. One more scripture on page 34, verses 27 to 29. As for you, The anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Instead, His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in Him. So now, little children, remain in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and be not ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that Excuse me, if, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. A lot to be said there, but in, in my closing remarks there, remember he's dealing with confident and then unashamed. And there's, there's, I love this passage, it talks about being unashamed before him at his coming. And that goes back to light and darkness, goes back to uh, truth and, and error, does it not? Anybody have a word there? We, we jumped in this thing pretty deep this morning. Right? Right? That's right. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He took our place, bore our shame, paid our penalty. Absolutely. How much record? <clears throat> that's all I can think of there. Some might would try to say others, but that's the only time I can think. That's definitely the only time Jesus mentions. Right. Well, yes, yes. And, and the reason he could not look upon him there is God can't look upon sin. Jesus took my sin. And yours and everybody else's. That's good, okay? Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm glad we have that short record of his earthly life, aren't you? Because uh, he became man. That's right. He became man, became flesh, dwelt among us. And he said, as many as believe him, gave he them power to become the sons of God. Hey, our relationship is born through him. And because of him, God so loved that he gave. And it says, we believe. And therefore, we, we are saved because of that, okay? Well, thank you all. Good to see you. Uh, next week, we'll begin our study there. And uh, hoping that if you haven't been in worship, you'll stay with us. We'll be getting started here in about 20 minutes, 25. So get your water break and uh, we'll be right back.